take it. Okay, somebody. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm used to it being in a certain position. It was in the other one today, so that messed me up. Uh, but that's, we'll get that figured out. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> wow, we're loud tonight, huh? 2 Timothy chapter 4. You're going to hear what I have to say, whether you like it or not. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Uh, we've been dealing with <clears throat> Second Timothy, and we're dealing with this idea of uh, being faithful, being faithful. And uh, so let's go ahead and begin reading in chapter 4, uh, verse 1. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, uh, wait, I'm on the wrong passage there, I'm sorry. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, he says. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. <clears throat> Excuse me. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, uh, inflict afflictions, <laughs> Well, this is going to be an interesting night. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us now in these next few minutes. We do pray, Father, for your leadership. Thank you for all you mean to us, all you do for us. Now, Lord, we're just asking that you'd walk these aisles, you'd speak to our hearts, and help us to be found faithful to you as we listen intently to you and your word. May you drive home your truths. May our lives be transformed and changed. We love you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Now, again, we said that there's very little doubt that believers are going to, if they're going to overcome the flesh, and if they're going to finish strong with faith, they're going to have to navigate a number of obstacles along the way. That's just a reality of the Christian life. We are admonished throughout Scripture to be faithful. And Paul, in this particular passage, is admonishing Timothy to be faithful. Now, <clears throat> as Paul comes to a conclusion to this letter, as he winds it down, we know that the shadow of the executioner looms upon him. It's not going to be long. He's going to be losing his life. It won't be long. His work on earth will be done. And it won't be long that he'll no longer be able to be writing to the churches and encouraging them with truth. So all that remained for the apostle Paul to do at this point was to challenge and to charge his son in the faith, Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we sense a new urgency in Paul's words. He was challenging Timothy like never before. And he was doing that simply because he knew that he would no longer be around to encourage and motivate himself. So the attacks had already begun. They were being carried out by the enemy and Paul was determined to leave a legacy of faith. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at, the, at, <clears throat> at his appearing in his kingdom. The word translated charge here is a strong word, and we noted it meant to entrust to as an officer is charged with dispatches. And so Paul wants Timothy to understand that this charge is being made not just in his presence, but in the Lord's presence. That God himself is involved in this. That it's not just Paul making the charge, but it's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he wants him to understand how valuable this charge is and how sacred it is, how serious it is, how, how solemn it is. And we note that, again, he's mentioning the fact that, hey, you better deal with this, Timothy. Understand that I'm giving you this charge. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be returning as well, and the judgment's going to take place. So be prepared. And at that point, he's going to judge the quick and the dead. He's going to judge those that are alive in Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to judge the dead who are dead in trespasses and sins at the great white throne judgment. So I'm charging you. Timothy, and I'm reminding you that the attack on truth has already begun. Apostasy was taking root. Wicked living was becoming acceptable, and a superficial faith was becoming the norm. Jesus is coming back, Timothy, he says, so keep your eyes on the sky and don't fall for the trap of becoming apathetical or lazy. He then instructs Timothy in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. What he was saying is, don't wait, get busy preaching now. Then he says, reprove. Convince the sinner of their guilt before a holy God. He says, rebuke. Point out blame in their life. Even if there's no conviction, you just keep preaching, Timothy. And then he says, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What he's saying there is simply encourage, strengthen, and inspire with all long-suffering and doctrine. That word translated exhort conveys the idea of calling someone aside to appeal to them, to entreat to them, to instruct them or beg them. And Paul's telling Timothy that he's got to take steps beyond the norm. That he can't just simply proclaim the truth, but he's got to go the extra mile. He has to appeal to those that he's trying to reach. He has to even plead with them if necessary, because the time is growing shorter. So we've already addressed the coming judgment and the charge. And tonight I want to start talking about the carelessness or the compromise that we see here. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, The Apostle Paul, as we mentioned, has reminded Timothy of that coming judgment. He's instructed him to preach the word and to do it with a sense of urgency. Why? Why did he tell him to do those things? Because not only is there a judgment coming, but he goes on to say, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, in Paul's day, there was already a kind of a rising tide of defection from the church. There were already those that were discontented with it, that were already departing or leaving it. Certain folks were just no longer content to worship as, and serve as they once did. There was also a growing difference of opinion and maybe even a disagreement against the very truths that were presented by the Apostle Paul that he presented on behalf of God. And you know, the truth is, is that same tide is going to, it seems to be coming more of an issue today, even in our day. And in the last days, it will certainly be a problem. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, turn there, would you? <clears throat> We're going to see that as Paul addresses now the Thessalonians, he reminds them of this same truth. He tells Timothy, by, by the way, the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, Timothy. There is a judgment coming. 
You better get to preaching because there's a time coming when they're not going to listen. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means. <clears throat> For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The phrase, that day. You see the phrase, that day shall not come. The phrase, that day, refers to the day of the Lord. It's a day that points to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, but also includes that seven-year tribulation period and kind of it's, it's that time right before the man of sin antichrist will be revealed. He's saying right before the man of, Christ, uh, the man of sin is revealed that there's going to be a falling away first. So there'll be this falling away and then he'll be revealed. And that, that day, it'll be that day, the day of the Lord when that takes place. Now you and I won't be here when that happens. We'll be gone already. We will return, though, the day of the Lord. That seven years there is kind of in between. There's kind of a, 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 kind of a period there where some things are a little bit unique and different. God begins to deal with Israel like he dealt with them in the past, and, and some things change a little bit during the tribulation period. Of course, the church has been raptured out. The Holy Spirit's gone, and now he's coming upon people like he did in the Old Testament. And so then all of a sudden we know that at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, the church will return with the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. We see that in Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> but it all encompasses this day of the Lord. And what we find here is that <clears throat> Paul is reminding the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians excuse me, that there's going to be a falling away first. Well, that's exactly what he's basically telling Timothy, if you, it sounds like to me. There's going to be a falling away. Now... <clears throat> He goes on to say, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That word translated endure means to hold, to hold. Paul kind of envisioned people in the last days not embracing or holding on to sound doctrine. That's kind of what he sees here. He's primarily speaking about his own teachings, really, because let's face it, Paul the Apostle's teachings are the real foundation of the church in the New Testament. He goes on basically to tell Timothy then, there's coming a day when believers or those who profess to be God's people will not hold on to or continue in sound doctrine. It's coming, Timothy. It's going to happen. They will not endure it. <clears throat> As we mentioned, even in Timothy's day, there were already those who, I guess believers or those who profess to be God's people, that were undermining clear Bible teaching. The very teaching that they had received and the very teaching that they had once embraced, they were no longer embracing it. And then there were others being raised up that just didn't believe it at all. One such group were the Gnostics. Of course, they were a heretical group, and they would continue out basically for the first to the third century. Those first to third century, they were pretty prominent. They claimed to be Christian, but really they weren't Christian. If you look at the positions that they held on some major doctrines, you realize that they, they really were errant in their belief system. For instance, salvation. Gnostics taught that salvation is gained through the acquisition of divine knowledge. 
<clears throat> so you need to get a lot of knowledge. You need to get some divine knowledge. You'll find salvation through knowledge. They, they claim to follow Jesus Christ in the original teachings. That's what they claim. But Gnostics contradicted him at every turn. So they weren't really Christian like we are. I mean, Jesus said nothing about salvation being through knowledge. He said it would be but by faith, through, uh, grace through faith. And it would be through Jesus Christ, the Savior himself. So the Gnostics had it mixed up. They had it all messed up. Oh, we believe in Jesus and we want to obey the Lord. But they did not believe in the same Jesus that you and I do then. <clears throat> then the, the word of God, when they consider the word of God, you know, Christianity, you and I, we, we hold to one source of truth. There is one source of truth. The Bible says, thy word is truth. And we believe it to be the Bible, the inspired and errant word of the living God, the only infallible, the only rule of faith and practice. And we don't believe that there's any other kind of thing that supersedes it, like there's no man's, man's thoughts, man's ideas, man's writings, man's visions. None of those things supersede God's word. But the Gnostics, on the other hand, they used a variety of writings known as Gnostic Gospels a collection of forgeries claiming to be the lost books of the Bible. If only you had more knowledge, you'd realize these belong in the Word of God, too. Hmm, okay. Then when it came to Jesus Christ himself, the Gnostics believed that Jesus' physical body was not really real. It only seemed to be physical. That his spirit descended upon him at his baptism, but it left him before he was crucified. Now that's interesting, isn't it? The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, a man, the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know what the Bible teaches us? It teaches us if Jesus had not become all God and all man, he couldn't have been a mediator between God and man. He had to be God to mediate with God. He had to be man to mediate with man, between God and man. He had to be all God, all man. And if he wouldn't have been all man, he could, have not, he could never have paid the penalty of sin because there had to be death, physical death. Today, we may not run into a bunch of Gnostics, but we face a climate of liberalism. We face theology that's been compromised and ultimately legitimized in our churches and Bible colleges around the country. Many of these churches and schools were founded by men of conviction, men who believed the Bible and stood steadfast in it, and yet they no longer hold the sound doctrine. Maybe they've passed on the scene and someone else has come along, or possibly they themselves have been deceived. They've cast it like bread upon the water. We can't help but think about ministries like the old Akron Baptist Temple that once stood for truth and right that once battled for sin and against Satan and sought for the souls of mankind. Today, because of doctrinal compromise, that ministry no longer exists. It doesn't even exist. There came a point when the pastor and the leaders of the church no longer endured sound doctrine. They became careless with their separation. Their dress and music standards went out the window, and before long, they had... You had, to wade through their, you had to wade through all the Bibles in their bookstore to find a King James Bible. You say, I don't believe it. Well, I remember going and trying to find a New Testament there years ago. 
I'm talking about years ago. I pulled in there thinking coming from Bible college, I'm talking years ago. Thinking I could get me a New Testament because I needed one. I thought, what a place to get it, but the Baptist temple, right? Pull on in, I go into the bookstore, and I asked the lady, I said, you got any any of those uh, New Testaments? She said, yeah, we got a bunch of New Testaments. I said, oh, wow, that's great. Started showing me Bibles. I said, no, you know, I'm talking about Soul Winner's New Testament. Talking about the kind you carry out Soul Winner's. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, they're small like this. She goes, well, we got a bunch of different Bibles here. I started looking. I said, well, I need a King James Bible, right? She goes, well, no, she offered me one, and it wasn't even King James. I said, I want a King James Bible. And then she said, well, let me see if I can find one of those little ones you're talking about. Huh? Got to find one? Don't even know what they are? Folks, listen, I'm not trying to be mean. They don't exist anymore, so I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just telling you where it starts and where it ultimately ends. We see it. The pulpits and classrooms around the country are occupied by men and women who deny the inerrancy, authority, and inspiration of Scripture today. They deny the deity of Christ, His incarnation, His miracles, infallibility, His resurrection, and even His ascension. They deny his visibility and his literal return one day. They deny the fall of man, the blood atonement, the doctrine of hell, the need for the new birth. Telling you that's evidence of those who have not endured sound doctrine. They are apostates. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are the blind leaders of the blind. They will not endure sound doctrine. Timothy says, there's coming a day when believers or those who profess to be God's people will not hold on to or continue in sound doctrine. They're not going to endure it, Timothy. You and I can't afford to miss the simple message in this passage. Even though the early church began with a bang, and it did, didn't it? When we think about the early church, we think, wow, great success, And it was fast. I mean, that church grew like nobody's business in Jerusalem. And ultimately, persecution came. And as a result, they spread throughout. Wow, the early church was going like gangbusters. But time saw a generation rise up who would not endure sound doctrine. Their careless attitude toward the truth led to compromise and eventually to abandoning sound doctrine completely. See, the apostle continues by saying, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Again, those being spoken of in the passage will not only find themselves enduring, not enduring sound doctrine, but due to their unbridled lust, the Bible says, they're going to go in search of other teachers and teachings. That's interesting. Some of the most outlandish and crazy doctrines are being promoted today. It's nuts. I read about a growing Brazilian church in Boston. It's Brazilian, but it's in Boston. And a pastor told his congregation that he was having regular conversations with an angel. Weeks later, he set a chair on the stage for the heavenly visitor 
whom he said was attending Sunday services, even though no one could see him. The pastor eventually wrote a book containing messages that he had supposedly received from this particular angel. The man's teaching became so bizarre, so outlandish, that he was eventually removed from his denomination for promoting heresy. Surprised it took that long. That's just proof positive we got issues with doctrine. And that scenario may seem rather extreme to you and I, but it's just one example of just how widespread this kind of unsound doctrine is. I mean, doctrines on angels and angelic encounters, this is not uncommon with the charismatic movement of our day. Not only charismatics, but much of Christianity finds itself bored with the plain sense of Scripture today. I mean, just simple Bible truth. They feel a need to learn and experience new things all the time. The old paths offer little, if any, real satisfaction any longer. They want new and improved. They want the good old doctrines, uh, uh, you know, those good old doctrines that carried grandma and grandpa through, helped mom and dad make it through life, that offered them inspiration and motivation. They say it doesn't offer us the same motivation or inspiration anymore. We need something different. We need something better. We need something new. So they heaped of themselves teachers having itching ears. The word heap means to pile or to mass, to amass, just kind of pile up teachers. Again, the idea is that they're going to pile up or stack up teachers. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can say whatever you want, but don't tell me Satan isn't at the head of all of this internet junk. Because I'll tell you one thing, it plays right into the hands of this one. I'm not saying there isn't anything good about it. Don't misquote me, but I'll tell you this. There is a lot of bad, and don't think for a minute that the God of this world isn't utilizing all of this as a tool. And don't think that it was an afterthought of Satan. He had pre-thought it out. He had planned and purposed all of these things. This isn't something that he went, wow, they created the internet. I think I'll use it to my advantage. No, he enabled man to come up with it. He put it into place. He's the diabolical mind behind all of this around us today. To heap. And then this word itching. Because again, he says, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves. Teachers having itching ears. That word itching means to scratch or to tickle. And it it suggests the the craving that people will have to, to hear sensational news. Huh. To see miracles. To explore the occult. To adopt unscriptural systems of interpretation. To accept outlandish theories on the fulfillment of prophecy. Oh, wow, have we gotten off track on prophecy. It's amazing. You, I guarantee you, there are Christians that are in fundamental churches that read all this trash on all these, all these charismatics that are running around telling us about prophecy and its fulfillment. It's way off base, folks. You better be real careful what you're listening to. Having teachers, heaping, heaping up the teachers, stacking them up. 
I'm going to go listen to what this one has to say. I'm going to listen to what this one has to say. I want to listen to what this one has to say. I want to hear what they have to say. I want more knowledge. I want more, 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 more. Okay. Seems to me that Eve's downfall could be found in a desire for knowledge. Look if you would in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Oh, you say, well, it's nothing wrong with knowledge. Yeah, we say knowledge is power. You better be real careful where you're getting it. This idea that every preacher's on the same plane doctrinally is totally unfounded. There's a reason why God gave us the local church and a pastor. I'll guarantee you there are so many Baptists that have been sent right out the doors of their churches because they got on the internet and started looking up other preachers around the country and they got dissatisfied with their pastor and their church because somehow their pastor wasn't deep enough, their pastor wasn't meeting their need no longer. You didn't know your need wasn't being met until you got on there and started heaping to yourself teachers having itching ears. Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing. You're really helping us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Of course, we know Satan is speaking through this serpent. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He had told her already, It's not going to happen. I promise you, you'll be fine. She says, But he told me, he told me. Nope. Don't worry about it, Eve. You're good to go. For God doth know, verse 5, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Notice what he goes on to say, or what the Bible says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. We better be real careful. We better be real careful. Because this idea of knowledge today has been so elevated. It is a God today. College education is, is seen as the fix-all to every problem. Get a good education, you'll have a good job, you got a good job, you can have a nice house, you got a nice house, you can have a nice family, you can have nice cars, it'll fix your life. Just get a good education. The more you know, the better off you are. My friend, tell that to some of those professors and some of those great men that fell into communism when the wall came up in Russia and got stuck behind it. Their education meant nothing. They were sitting on the side of the street begging like everybody else for bread. You better put your faith in a God, not in the God of education, but in the God of heaven. I'm not opposed to education, my friend. I think we ought to learn as much as we possibly can. But I'm telling you, if you're trusting in your education to keep you safe, I'll tell you what, you just watch what happens if certain factions get in control of our country. You tell me all about it. By the way, can I tell you, there is no way there's going to be free college for everyone, just so you know. It won't happen. It won't happen. It never has. I've been talking that junk for years. It'll never happen. 
Don't put your trust in that stuff. And you know what? When the Bible starts talking about all these things that are taking place, I'm telling you, we got a mess on our hands here. They're heaping, he says to themselves, teachers having itching ears. Be very careful. We see knowledge being a real problem, and it can be one today. When Paul came into, the, into contact with the Athenians, he noted that they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. How many people do you have to hear tell you supposedly the truth? Be careful that you don't run to everybody and anybody until you find somebody that says it the way you want to hear it. We are rapidly moving in this direction today. And again, we're not even at the last days yet in the sense of this being the last day. Someone says, well, Jesus has to come. He don't have to do nothing. It could be hundreds of years yet. I'm not saying he isn't going to come. I hope he comes tonight. Really, I could care. I'd be glad. I'd be good to go. Hit the sack, close my eyes, and be in heaven. I love it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. That's the way I want to go anyway. I don't want to go down in the grave. I want to go straight up. But he may not come back. And we can't live our lives every day saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to go ahead and bury my head in the sand and do nothing and just hope he shows up tonight. No, we got to work like he is coming. Uh, we got to watch like he's coming today, but work like he's not coming for another thousand years. <clears throat> we got to be careful that we don't get careless with the truth. You know, that's what's really going on here. Don't take it for granted, please. You know, that truth came with a great price. You know, this word of God did not just happen to fall, you know, just kind of show up one day. It cost a lot of people blood. It cost, it cost the Lord. I mean, it, it's in heaven already, but to get it on earth, let me tell you, it costs a lot. It's settled in heaven. But on earth, there's people trying to destroy it all the time, and there are people that have given their lives so that you and I can hold a copy of it in our hands today. Don't take it for granted. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it by neglecting the house of God. Don't neglect it by neglecting the Word of God. No longer memorizing, reading, studying the Scriptures. Don't neglect this, these truths, this sound doctrine. Don't disregard it. Don't just get rid of it in your life. Listen, you know, right now you say, that's impossible, I'd never do that. I've known people that have said that that aren't even, could care less about the Bible today. That's a sad commentary, but it's a reality. So Paul's saying to Timothy as we close, there is coming a day when believers or those who profess to be God's people are not going to hold on to or continue in sound doctrine. They will not endure it. Now turn over to the book of Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. In Judges chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 7 and 8, and then we're going to look at verse 10. <clears throat> in Judges chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we understand that this has come after the reign of Joshua. Joshua has led the people of God into the promised land, and of course, they have seen tremendous victories, and God has blessed them immensely. But notice what the Bible says here in Judges chapter 2. Verse 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. So it seems and appears that those that uh, in Joshua's day, as well as those that were serving and that were involved in the decision-making processes during Joshua's day, the elders, 
who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel, all of these, they served the Lord during that time. And Joshua, the Bible says, verse 8, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Verse 10, and also all that that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So now we have those that, elders that had served with Joshua and those that had known of those days, that had enjoyed the blessings, so to speak, of that time. But then all of a sudden, there's a generation, that generation was gathered to their fathers. They died. They're off the scene now. And there arose another generation after them. Now, this is not a matter of 100 years. This isn't a matter of 50 years. Realistically, it's probably not even a matter of 20 years. It's probably closer to 10 to 15. And watch what happens. And there arose another generation after them, verse 10, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now, how is that possible? One generation. There's two generations here right now, my son and me. That's two generations. 20 years between us. Well, 15, I was real young when I had him because I'm, I'm still really young, right? But you know, the truth is, is that there's not much time between us. There was a generation that arose that knew not God. I mean, it's just amazing to me, really, when I think about this. It doesn't even seem conceivable. It just does not even make sense. See, there was a generation that followed the death of Joshua that did not hold on to or endure sound doctrine. You know what they did? They dropped the baton. There was a, a, a generation that dropped the baton. And I just want to know, will you hold on to or will you drop sound doctrine in your life? See, the problem isn't just that you will drop the baton, but that the next generation will never have it. That's the problem. You know, I'm always amazed, and again, I, 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 um, I'm shocked when parents walk out of a church Notice I said a church. I'm not even just telling our church. I'm saying any church. They walk out of the church to never go back into the church and they raise their children without God. I, I don't understand how that can happen, especially if they profess Christ as their Savior. Can you imagine knowing you're on your way to heaven but not allowing your children to learn about it? I love my child. That's crazy way to show your love to neglect their soul I don't understand stuff like that that's a, that's a tough one for me and what you see is a, a generation here along with, with Joshua here who dropped the baton, didn't pass it down they didn't hold the sound doctrine I wonder if they got itching ears at some point, they started going around searching for something new it wasn't enough what they used to have. It wasn't enough what mom and dad had. We used to sing a song, you know, about um, give me that old time religion. 
Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. Then we say, it was good for my mother. It was good for my father. It was good for my mother. It's good enough for me. It was good for my grandma. It was good for my grandpa. <laughs> Whatever. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? Now we say, it was good for my mother. It was good for my father. It was good for my mother and father, but it ain't good enough for me. I need something better, something new. I need more knowledge. I need something different because this isn't getting it done. This doesn't meet my need. This just isn't exciting enough. This just doesn't really, I need more. We live in a different generation, preacher. It's different. That might have been good for you and yours, but it ain't good for me no more. Hmm. Paul says to Timothy, for the time will come when they now will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves. But, but excuse me, my, I do this every time I memorize this passage, and I, uh, I, this little phrase gets me every time. <laughs> oh, that makes me so mad. Now i got to find it. But after their own lusts. That's the phrase that I always forget. See, the devil must be on me about this. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. For the time will come, he said. Can I, listen. I trust that that time will never come in your life. I trust it'll never come. I pray that you'll endure sound doctrine, that you'll maintain Bible separation, you'll follow through with godly standards. And don't, listen, don't let the devil lie to you. If you can throw your standards out the window, my friend, you will throw your faith away down the road. And if you don't, your children will. You go ahead and believe whatever you want. You buy into all this new stuff running around today. You go ahead. Think you can live like the world and maintain Bible doctrine? Good luck. Good luck. It all goes together, hand in hand, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I pray you'll not entertain even the slightest thought of carelessness or compromise because that's exactly what happened here. And you know what? That's going to happen in the last days. And we're seeing evidence of it even in our day. And you know, the last days really, theoretically and biblically, have been for the last 2,000 years. A day is, what the Lord's is 1,000 years, right? So what, it's a couple days now. You know what? These are the last days. We're one step closer. Let me ask you. The Bible says when the Lord returns, will he find faith on the earth? You know, well, there is no faith without sound doctrine. He says, the time will come when not I endure sound doctrine. I pray that time never arrives for you. You never, ever arrive there. And I pray I never do. Let's hold to the word of God. Let's hold to the truth of the word. Let's, let's, let's be defenders of the faith. And let's not compromise our beliefs, our standards, our separation from the world. Let's stay in the race, stay in the battle, and certainly please the Lord with our lives and lips. Father, we come to you. We need you. We thank you for all you do for us.
Lord, we thank you for this simple Bible truths in the Word of God. We thank you for Timothy and just uh, how Paul the Apostle took him under his wing, how he sought to raise him up and to continue to maintain sound doctrine and to preach the Word of God because there's coming a day when folks won't want to hear the truth. So we better, with an urgency, preach the truth today while they're still open to it. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would never get discouraged with the truth, that we just keep giving it and we keep living it. Father, help us, Father, to not take it for granted or to discard it, but help us, Lord, to embrace it and love it. We need you tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.